Hey, uh, everybody, so glad that you're here. Um, thanks for coming to worship in a movie theater with us. That's really awesome. My name is Brent, if we hadn't met, so I'd love to meet you after the service. Love for you to join us in the welcome party if you've got time. Your kids are welcome to come and join us. We'll, we'll be in there pretty quick, share a few minutes, sit around some tables and talk. It'd be really good. We'd love to have you, all right? Are you ready to study the scriptures this morning? Yeah. Me too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for what you do, who you are. Yes. Thank you that you're here in us and with us and amongst us and doing the work that you do. To, to take us from death to life in all the areas of our lives. Lord, today we want to celebrate that. Thank you for you. Pray that you would speak to us now from your word and help us to become more like you. Bless everybody here. Thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, last week was Easter. Yes. And we had an incredible Easter Sunday. Now, you may not realize this, but like Easter, Easter's big time for pastor people. Yes. Like, it's big time. Like, this is the day that we really look forward to. We like to say, it's like the Super Bowl for us. Yes. It's embarrassing that we say that, but we do. We're not supposed to say it to you, probably, but we do. We say it to each other. So we had an incredible, incredible uh, week last week. Now, now all across the, the globe, people are celebrating Easter, right? And, and what happens a lot of times is people take the churches. This, there's an area where churches, they seem to try a little too hard, and it's in the area of church signs. Like when you drive by down the road and people, they, you know, put signs up and you know that dude's just sitting there all week thinking about what he's going to put on that sign and then he comes up with something really good. You know, I, I love church signs actually. It's something that I just like to look them up every now and then and I thought maybe it'd be fun to share some with you. So, uh, so some of the Easter signs that I saw here this past week really enjoyed. Let's look at the first one. Bring your peeps to church. I mean, you know, it's simple. It's sweet. It's good, you know, but, but please don't bring your peeps to this church because... We throw them away here. Uh, but, but bring your peeps, for sure, to church. That's a really clever play on words. Thanks for that. Um, silly rabbit, Easter's for Jesus. <laughs> so swipe at pop culture and a little punch in the face to your childhood. Thank you. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Christians, happy Easter. Jews, happy Passover. Atheists, good luck. Maybe not the most loving place. Like, if that's you today and you're like, I don't know what I believe about all this stuff, hey, you're safe here, all right? We're not, we're not going to wish you adieu and good luck. Uh, yeah. 28 to 3, comeback was great. Super Bowl this year, anybody? Three days in the grave comeback is the greatest. Yeah. Took him a whole month to think of that one. That was good. YOLO, LOL, JK, BRB, Jesus. Those of you who are above 30, I'm going to leave that up there for just another couple moments. So the person sitting beside you who's under 30 can explain it to you. I know, you're laughing, but you don't know what you're laughing at. You're like, <laughs> YOLO! <laughs> oh, that YOLO. Mm-hmm, I know how it goes. In case you missed it, you only... Oh, it's gone. You only live once. Laugh out loud. Just kidding. Be right back. Jesus. There you go. Now you can have a real honest laugh and... We believe in authenticity here, so you can laugh honestly now. No, really, though, it was a great celebration, everybody. And all over the world, great things were happening. And here in our community, great things happened. We, uh, we had about 1,800 people at our services over the weekend, uh, seven services over three locations. And um, about 1,800 people came to worship Jesus together. Isn't that cool? Awesome. It's really awesome. Now, the thing that we're really excited about, though, is 76 people made first-time decisions for the Lord Jesus. So, yeah, that's good. We can celebrate that one. That's really good. 
Now, if that's you, we just celebrate that because we believe it's the best story. We think that people finding the love of Christ and, and understanding his great love and his sacrifice to pay for our sins, that's the greatest thing. And so we like to celebrate that stuff. So congratulations. I want to say a big thank you to Team One. Team One made that thing happen. It's the first time we ever did two services, and we did not know what we were doing. And they pulled it off, man. They did such a great job. It was smooth and wonderful. And so, Team One, thank you so much for all of your hard work to make that thing go great. And yeah, that's right. Give them a, give them a hand. And, and also, uh, man, I just want to say, you know, there is a really great team of people around here. And in your cup holder right down there, there's a little card that says Team One. It says, put me in, coach. And if you want to jump on that amazing team and be a part of the really cool things that are happening around here, then you can take that card, fill it out, and drop it in the offering on your way out. We would love to have you on the team, using your gifts and finding real fulfillment in being a part of the team and doing what God wants you to do. So that's really cool. So anyway, loved it. Loved last week. So, so good. And a couple weeks ago, we started a series that we called Impossible God. And what we started talking about was how a lot of us live with this, like, uh, it's like a deceptive dichotomy that we all have. And we don't like to admit it, but a lot of us live with it. We say things like this. Like, we'll say, oh, yeah, I, I believe. I believe that God can do the impossible. I believe all that. Yeah, absolutely. We sang it today, and I shouted it, and I, I totally believe it. So we'll say things like, yeah, I, I believe that God heal, heals. But then we live like I'm the exception to whether God can really heal. heal. We say things like, oh, I believe that God provides. I do. I believe it. God will provide for me. But we think then... If I don't take care of myself, though, if I don't make this really happen, I'm not sure that everything's going to turn out okay. We'll say things like, I believe that God loves me unconditionally. Yeah, I, I, I believe that. But then the way that we live our life, it, it looks like we wonder, is that really true for me? Like, I feel like I, I have to, I got to earn the love of God. And if I do the wrong thing, he's right there. Ugh! And he's going to take care of me. We say things like, uh, I, I believe that nothing is impossible with God. I'll sing it out loud. But we live like, well, there might be a few things that he can't actually take care of. So we end up holding these two dichotomies, right? We, we end up holding these two things. I believe it, but eh, maybe not. We hold them in our hands and they just kind of ruin us. They just continually pull us apart because they're pulling us in separate directions. And I think what Jesus does is he comes and he puts his finger on that thing that we're doing. And he says, hey, I want you to give that to me. I want, you to, I want you to release that. Let, let me take that from you. I want to bring those things together and really help you to believe. Why does he do this? I think he knows that we, we live our lives in such a way that, that we're, it's so easy to fall into the trap of, well, this is, this is what's earthly. This is what's human. This is what's possible. And our paradigm revolves mainly around what we can see and feel and touch and smell, and that's it. And outside of that realm, I don't know that much happens, but I think what Jesus is calling us to do today is to give that up. In order to fully follow him, we've got to release those two dichotomies and start to actually open our hearts to believe nothing is impossible with him. Amen. I think that's what we're going to do today, to start living in the realm of what he says is possible rather than simply the realm of what we think is possible. Because our imagination can be pretty small. And the kingdom of God, it functions under totally separate paradigms than this. It's totally separate from our own small human thinking, where with God, all things are possible. I'm going to do the cheesy preacher thing to you and say, how many is all? <laughs> don't you hate that? I always hated that. I don't know why I do it to you. How much is all? all. With God, all things are possible. But that's really challenging for a lot of us to believe. 
I mean, if you really sit here for a moment, just ask yourself, do I really think that God could do anything in my life? Do I actually believe that he's big enough and wide enough and strong enough? Could he actually take care of this situation that I'm in right now? I think what Jesus wants to do is he wants to invade a little bit today and start to switch those paradigms for us and start to change our way of thinking. He actually did this with a couple of guys right after the resurrection. We're going to look today at Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen for you. Luke 24, we're going to start in verse 13 and we're going to go through the whole story here. Starting in verse 13, it says, that same day, this is Easter Sunday, this is Resurrection Sunday, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. So a little background here. It's the evening of Resurrection Sunday, right? It's Easter Sunday. Not just any Easter Sunday. This is the Easter Sunday. This is the day where Jesus has risen again. And two followers of Jesus, they're walking from Jerusalem to this, to this little village of Emmaus. One of them is named Cleopas, which is a great name, by the way, if you're planning on having children soon. I just recommend. What's up, little Cleopas? We'll all love and support him. The kids on the playground will not, but we will. We don't know what the other guy's name is, and that's a bummer, right? I mean, there's, there's two guys in the story. We know the name of one guy. The other guy is nameless. There's one chance to get in the scriptures, and well, you missed it, but oh well. So... So these guys are not members of the 12 disciples, which are now down to 11 because of Judas, but, but these guys are devoted followers of the Lord Jesus. And after all that's happened, of the insanity of these, these past several days, with Jesus' death and his burial and resurrection, and now his apparent disappearance, and nobody knows where he is, and they think somebody's stolen the body, these two guys are walking back home. They're going back to the little village of Emmaus. About seven miles, probably take them two or three hours to get there. Some of us, it might take us a little longer. But here's what's going on in their hearts. Disappointment. Major disappointment. Doubt. Disillusionment. Defeat. They're discouraged. They're wallowing in despair. And they feel like death. They feel like it's over. So they left the downhearted and totally confused disciples. Disciples wondering what's going on, just totally bewildered about what happened to Jesus. The master who they loved has been put to death, and not just any death, but a gruesome and horrible death, made a public spectacle in front of everybody, exposed to the taunts and jeers of people who passed by. And just one week ago, just one week ago, their hopes were so high as Jesus rode into the city on a donkey and people were waving palm branches and throwing down their cloaks and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, he's the king. But now Jesus was dead in a tomb. Their hopes were dashed. Their dreams were finished. And then in verse 15, it says, as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. So these travelers, they're making their way to Emmaus and a stranger, he just walks up to them and comes beside them. Now we don't know where he came from. It seems like they were cool with it. It wasn't like before when an angel or someone would appear, don't be afraid. That didn't happen in this case. They seemed like they were cool. The stranger just shows up and, you know, the scripture gives us a spoiler alert. It's Jesus. Don't tell anybody. But somehow they don't recognize him. And Luke tells us that God keeps them from recognizing him. This wasn't an accident. They weren't too preoccupied to understand. They weren't allowed to recognize him. So in verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. 
Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. Now, crucifixions, they weren't rare in, this, in Jerusalem around this time. Like Rome had crucified about 2,000 people in this uprising when Herod the Great had died. So they knew what was going on. But the, cruci- the crucifixion of Jesus, it got everybody's attention. Everybody was talking about this. So they're asking this traveling companion, man, where you been? Have you got your head under a rock? What are you doing? How do you not know what just happened here the past few days? And in verse 19, Jesus says, what things? It's amazing. He's absolutely messing with them. (laughs) What things, Jesus asked? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and the other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped that he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. What's wrong with you? It's this guy, Cleopas. He actually starts to tell Jesus about Jesus. Now, through the years of my life, I've had the honor and privilege of preaching the gospel to thousands of people. This dude is preaching the gospel to Jesus. It's amazing. I mean, what an awesome privilege and responsibility. Don't screw it up. This awesome thing that he gets to do, it's also slightly embarrassing as he tells Jesus his own story. So here's what he says, the progression. He says, the man from Nazareth, a prophet who did miracles, he's a mighty teacher, you know? And everybody agreed with these descriptions. Like you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who didn't agree with that. That would have been widely accepted. In fact, today, people still kind of widely accept those basic ideas. Questionable about the miracles, but a mighty teacher, prophet, man from Nazareth. Okay, people in our world today, they even agree with that. They're not that controversial. But because these guys are so sorrowful, so disappointed in what's happened, they lose all their political correctness. And they just blurt it out. We had hoped, oh, we hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. See, they wanted him to overthrow the Romans. They wanted him to do something different. They wanted him to restore the sovereignty of the nation of Israel. They wanted him to to establish again a king on the throne of David. In verse 22, they keep going. Then some women from our group of his followers, they were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with this amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body's gone, just like the woman had said. You can kind of hear the fear in their voice, not knowing what's going on. And then get this, man. Seriously, they went over there and they couldn't find the body. They heard some woman had some crazy story about the grave being empty, but the men went and checked it out and, you know, the men could figure it out, but the grave really was empty. (laughs) We don't know what happened. Did the angels take the body? Did the soldiers take Jesus' body? Did they remove it and hide it? Did the religious leaders take his body? We don't know. They're wondering what's really going on. What's going to happen to us? Is this Jesus movement that has started, is this all going to fall apart? Is it over? Are we in danger? Are we in danger of being killed? Verse 25, Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets, what all the prophets wrote in the scriptures Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining to them from the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus, still unknown to these guys, he starts to teach them. He walks them through all the prophecies about the Messiah. I imagine these guys were kind of like, well, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) Oh, yeah, 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 of course, everybody knows this. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. 
They're just listening to Jesus tell the story. I would have loved to listen to this conversation. Verse 28, by the time they were nearing Emmaus at the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on. He's messing with them. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. And then he broke it and gave it to him. I would have loved to have been there for this. These guys are walking. You know, it's went on for quite some time. These two weary travelers, they're listening intently to the stranger. Tell them the story that they know. But the hour's late, and so they're getting tired. It was customary for them to offer food to somebody and invite them in to take care of them. So they do. They sit down. They put food on the table. Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it, and he breaks it to give it to them. In verse 31, suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. <laughs> Isn't that rad? Here you go. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> they said to each other, oh, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road and he explained the scriptures to us like, we knew it. We didn't know that we knew it, but we knew it. We knew it in here. We knew something was happening. More articulate than the words that Jesus had spoken to them was his breaking of bread. More, more vivid than Jesus' countenance was his breaking of bread. This moment where he sat with them, communed with them, broke bread with them more penetrating than the scriptures that Jesus explained to them was them sitting with him and breaking bread together. Everything became clear when they sat and they had communion with him. Everything became clear as they sat one-on-one -on -one with him, sat and talked and listened to him. Everybody, the same thing happens with you and me. So what happens here in this story, I think, I think that a lot of us live in the same way that these guys are living. We live in the same paradigms. The way that they're walking back to Emmaus, we live our lives with these same paradigms. Life didn't turn out like we thought it would. The things didn't go according to plan, not like it was supposed to. So the story, it tells us these three paradigms that I think we tend to live in, even though we don't really like to admit it. The first paradigm I think a lot of us live in is we're exhausted. I'm just tired, man. You ask anybody, ask anybody how they're doing. There are two responses, aren't there? You're going to get, fine. Thanks for being so descriptive. <laughs> or, or they're going to say, oh, man, busy. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm busy. So busy. So tired. So busy. We are tired. We're out of energy. We're worn out. We're overloaded with full schedules. We've got work and church and school and sports and clubs and all these things that we're involved in, plus our social media time, which is really a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> All these things. And by the time you get home at the end of the day, all you want to do is crash. Oh, I'm out of time. I can't do it anymore. I'm just going to binge these seven or so shows on Netflix. <laughs> you laugh because you're like me. You know it's true. <laughs> if you had to do it all over again, you couldn't. You're just too tired, too busy, too much going on. Or worse than that, you've just had so much happen to you and your life. It's been difficult and hard and very long and very tiresome and you've been doing it, fighting the fight for a long time and you are exhausted. And so maybe today you're living that kind of a life. That's the paradigm you're stuck in. You live life exhausted. Or maybe you're in the second paradigm where you just feel empty. I just feel empty. I am involved in all these things and my schedule is totally full. I'm in the PTA and the HOA and whatever else has three letters. I'm in all these things. And my, my schedule is totally crammed full and I got all this stuff. I got Facebook groups and I got sports teams. I got all the clubs. But many of, us at the, many of us at the end of the day, even though we have all of this stuff, we find that it doesn't fulfill. It just doesn't fill us up. We find ourselves going home empty even though we're involved in pretty much everything. 
all the stuff of life didn't bring the fulfillment that I thought I was gonna get. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you just feel like you're empty. Third paradigm I think we get trapped in is, is, is this. We feel trapped. We're trapped. These guys felt trapped. They felt like uh, it's over. The story is over. Jesus is gone. What are we going to do? You feel trapped by debt. You don't know how you're going to get out of it. You feel trapped in a relationship, and you're not sure what move to make next. You're trapped by people's expectations over you, and you either feel good about that, or you feel guilty, or you feel shame, or you feel anger, all of which are traps, by the way. You're trapped by bitterness and resentment over things that have happened to you in the past. You feel like it doesn't matter what you do. I, it's just not going to help. I can't get out of this. You feel trapped by doubt and unbelief because it feels like God just has not come through for me. Maybe this is the paradigm that you feel stuck in today. You just feel like you're trapped. These two travelers, I think they were living that way. I think this was kind of their worldview right now. But what you have to see is that Jesus came to them. Jesus showed up. Jesus tracked them down. Jesus went to go and find them. And it was so important that it's been recorded in the scriptures so that you and I can hear the story and remember it. By taking the time for him to come to them and accompany them down the road, even this road of disappointment, Jesus is revealing how much he cares about us how much he cares about you and how much he wants to change the way that you live your life. And in just an encounter with him, in just a moment with him, everything can change. It did for them. He disappeared right then, but it changed for them. I think he wants to do the same for you if you'll allow him. He wants to change these paradigms. And the first shift that I think he wants to bring to your life today is to believe that Jesus knows where you're going. Jesus knew exactly where these two guys were walking. He knew which road. He knew where, we, where they were on the road. He didn't stop at the local Piggly Wiggly or whatever. Is that even a thing? I'm not from the South. I don't know what I'm talking about. He didn't stop at the corner store to say hi and find out about these dudes. He knew exactly where they were, and he showed up to meet them. This was not coincidence. Jesus wasn't just strolling on the road to Emmaus. Oh, hey, two of my followers. I'm going to do a trick. That's not what happened. He sought them out, and he knew that they were stuck in these human paradigms. He knew they were stuck in this earthly way of living, not seeing what could be possible, and he wanted to walk with them. So he wanted to meet them where they were. He wanted to change it. He wanted to give them a new hope. He wanted to give to them a future. Yeah. He wanted to walk with them. Yeah. This is what he wants to do with you. He wants to walk with you, to meet you where you are. This is what he does with us. So in the midst of you being stuck and exhausted and empty and trapped, Jesus knows where you are and where you're heading. He knows and he, and he cares. He cares about what's currently happening and all the turmoil that you're going through. And just like he did with these two, Jesus comes alongside to help steer us back, to steer us back to his purpose, to steer us back to his promise, to help us recover his presence. Jesus literally goes out of his way to pursue us to chase us down the roads of heartache and pain and frustration, confusion, to turn us around and start us on a new journey or to keep us on the same road, but to help you go in a more positive direction. Yes. This is the work that he does. Yeah. I've seen it happen in my own life. When I was a young man, I was eight years old and my parents got divorced. One of the most difficult experiences to this day still that I've ever had to go through. My parents got divorced and my family kind of fell apart and I lost everything. And at 13 years old, I had to make the horrible decision of which parent I was going to choose to live with. And so I just, I was, I was just, I was so tormented, so confused, so upset, so many tears. 
had so much confusion and so much disappointment about this is, this is what this is? This is life? I should be rebelling against my parents, not super mad at them right now in this way. There should be other things going on. And Jesus came and he sought me out. And he used some men in the church that I was. As I'm trying to figure out, do I live with my dad? Do I live with my mom? Whose heart do I break? And he sent men into my life, the pastor of the church I was at, to come and lift me up and encourage me, take me out for, for Cokes and go hang out and talk about it a little bit and pray together. The youth pastor to come and lift me up and pull some gifts out of me and help me to start not just focusing on myself, but to look outward to others. Another guy, an elder in the church, he came alongside and this little punk kid, little scrawny punk and pulled him up and gave him a job at his meat market. I'm carrying around sides of beef and they're falling on top of me and it was a terrible experience, but he helped me grow. <laughs> Smelled terrible every day, but he helped me to grow and taught me the value of hard work. My family had fallen apart, but Jesus came into the midst of my despair and said, I'm still going to make you who I want you to be. He did it. And this is what he does. He wants to make another shift with you. He wants to help you trust that Jesus knows what's on your heart. He knows what you're going through. Jesus knew what these guys were going through. And when they asked Jesus whether or not he knew the events of the week, of course he knew. We saw him mess with them. But he wanted to draw out of them what they felt. He wanted to draw out what they thought. He knew their hearts were heavy, but he was going to do something about it. He was going to draw it out of them, and he was going to do something with it. He draws near and he walks with us, but he doesn't want to just hang out. That's not what he's doing. He's not just hanging out. He wants to make an intrusion. He wants to get in. He wants to open up your heart. He wants to help you reveal those things that are going on in your heart so he can take them from you, carry them with you, and eventually take them from you, sometimes in an instant. It's incredible work that he does. And this is what he wants to do for you, to help you for your good. We're so good at being like, Jesus, take it all. Take it all. Take all of it. Oh, <laughs> Not that one. <laughs> that one's mine. I'm going to hold on to that one, all right? But take it all. Yeah. Have it all. Jesus, have it oh! <laughs> Not that relationship. Sorry. I'm just, I'm going to keep that for another month, all right? Okay, thank, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Right? It's true. Yes. That's what we do. What he's saying to us, one chapel, Kyle, today, he said, come on, give it all to me. Yes. Give it all. Lay it all down. Surrender it all. I'll Amen. take you. I'll change you. I will help you. I'll set you on the right path. This is what he's doing. But will you welcome him? Will you let the intrusion come in? At first, it feels like, oh, man, this feels painful to give this stuff up. But on the other side of that is complete freedom Amen. and life everlasting. Yeah. That's what happens. This is what he's doing. Or are you just going to stay in it? No, man, I got this. I can do it. And you're going to just keep, keep telling Jesus how you're doing. You're going to keep telling Jesus, just like Cleopas, keep telling Jesus about Jesus being dead. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I don't, he can't do it. Oh, he couldn't do this. He couldn't take this from me. He couldn't help me in this circumstance. Can you imagine? Cleopas is just standing there talking about, yeah, and he died. He's dead. He's gone now. We don't know what we're going to do. We hoped he was the Messiah. And Jesus is like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm right here. Uh-huh. You're going to be embarrassed thousands of years from now when people read this story. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> the third shift Jesus wants to make is to help you understand that Jesus, he knows then how to renew your hope. He knows how to do this. This is what resurrection life is. Resurrection life is renewal of hope. Resurrection life is coming alive again. One of the reasons why so many of us get stuck in this exhausted and empty lifestyle, this trapped lifestyle, is because we lose hope. We lose it. We, in fact, we live in a society that's forgotten or it's, it's uh, sometimes redefined what hope even means. Like, think about it. I'll give you a couple examples. Like, we've abandoned the word. So I say... If I stand here and I say, hey, everybody, got an announcement to make? Uh, in the coming Sundays, I'm only going to speak for 10 minutes. It's going to be great. 
What you would say is, yeah, I hope so. But you wouldn't be really having hope. What you'd be saying is, yeah, I doubt that. That's not going to happen. But that's the way we use the word. Oh, I hope so. Oh, I hope so. That's how we use it. What it means is, oh, I doubt that. That's what we're really saying. I doubt it. We've redefined the word. Or if you're driving down, you're doing 65 and a 25. I know who you are. 65 and a 25. You're driving down the road, and you see lights behind you. You, see, you hear the siren behind you. And you say, oh, I hope I don't get pulled over. Jesus. That's just wishful thinking. That's all that is. And you are delirious because you're going to get pulled over. And we're going to come visit you in jail, and you're going to be fine. We've changed the word. We don't even know how to use it correctly. This is not the definition, biblical hope. That's not what it is. The Bible definition of hope is confident expectation. Yes. I am expected, I am confident in this. It's anticipating something with full assurance that it's going to happen. <laughs> that kind of hope is the basis of our faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Without this kind of hope, there is no faith. Hebrews, uh, oh, I already read that. Perfect. Without the, there's, no, there's no faith without this kind of hope. And without this faith, it's not only impossible to please God, but there's no salvation without it. This is everything to us. And these two guys, their hope was wishful thinking. That's what it was. In Luke 24, 21, he said, we had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. Yeah, they hoped, but they hoped that Jesus would do what they wanted him to do in their own timing. That's what they wanted. They were just hopeful, but this wasn't Jesus' purpose. He came for so much more than a political situation in the Middle East. He came for so much more than that. He came for all of us. Amen. Yeah, Jesus is going to do it. He's going to kick out the bad guys when he comes back as king. He'll do it. He, but this time, he came as the suffering servant to take on all of our sin and to help us. These two guys walking down the road didn't happen the way they wanted, so they just stopped hoping in God. I'm just done. Just forget it. I'm finished. This is exactly what happens to us. We do the same thing because we put our hopes in something that's temporary. We put our hopes on things here in the earth. Teenagers, you put your hope in some boy that you think is so cute, and he's going to solve everything for me and make my family awesome, and it's ridiculous. He's 16. He's so dumb. I can say it because I was one, and I know, and I was dumb. So dumb. And we're like, well, I'm an adult. I've grown out of that. No. uh <laughs> That was mature, wasn't it? No. uh <laughs> We put our hope in these silly things here on the earth when there's so much more. And they were disappointed every time because every single thing here on the earth will fail us. Every time we put our hope, our, our, our trust in something that's not him, it lets us down. But with him, we have everything. They were hoping, but that wasn't it. And so they stopped hoping in the promise of the Messiah. Like everything they knew from their history, all the prophecy, all the story, they stopped hoping in that. They were devastated. But through their time with Jesus, their hope was renewed. As they sat there and listened to him, and as he broke the bread, their hope was renewed. Prior to the arrival of Jesus in this moment, all their hope was in the past. It was all gone. But as soon as they saw him, as soon as they saw him, everything changed. He was now the God of their present, yes. and then the God of their future. Everything changed for them. Yes. Look, if your hope has taken a hit today, I get it. Mine has too. I told you the story of my parents' divorce. I thought everything crashed and it was done. But you need to know that Jesus is the same 
yesterday and today and forever. If your hope is waned, you just got to put your hope back in the only one who can carry it and he will deliver every time. And this happens for us when we just stop. When you stop going down the road of depression, stop going down the road of disappointment, you stop, and I know those are challenging things to stop, but you start, stop going down all of that despair and you stop and turn around and go the other way and look for him. Recognize his presence that he's walking there with you. Yes. When you see him and when you have communion with him, yeah, sure, right here in the service, but you on your own time in the morning when you wake up and you open the scriptures and you seek his face and you worship him, when you spend that time with him, all this begins to become clear. But that's what we've all got to do. And at the end of the story, these guys, they run back. So Jesus poof, disappears. Within the hour, these guys were up, Seven miles back to Jerusalem. They went back to go tell the story. That's all they could do. They were freaking out. They had to tell everybody the story about what Jesus is doing. Same thing happens to us. You stop thinking about how depressed and how difficult and how hard and how I've lost so much. And I'm not trying to lessen it. I'm not trying to say that it doesn't matter because it does. I'm just saying that he is, in fact, bigger than that stuff. And we just get back up and we run. We just got to go tell everybody, this is what he's doing. Are you still walking through that? I am, but I know that he's with me. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Oh, man, it's so good. Their eyes are open to the risen Jesus. Why don't you close your eyes? I'm going to close here. These two guys, the road that they're traveling... No longer one of shattered hopes and dreams. That was over. It became a road of endless possibilities. It became a road where hope is alive. It became a road where impossible actually becomes possible. And this is what Jesus does. He takes dead things that seem hopeless and he makes them alive in something new. And when it happens, all you can do is run and tell somebody about it. And this resurrection life that he gives and the resurrection life that I'm talking about today and the hope that I'm presenting to you today, it's not just for later, it's for right now. It's not just for another day when all this is over. It's for right now. And the resurrection life of Jesus, it is greater than your past. It is greater than your failure. Resurrection life is greater than your hatred. Resurrection life is greater than poverty. It's greater than addiction. Resurrection life, Jesus' life is greater than sin. It's greater than death. Resurrection life equals unlimited possibilities. How do I know this? I know this because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was dead and he came alive again. That means that there is nothing that's impossible. Death is the hardest. Death is the final thing. And he beat that. If resurrection is possible, then nothing is impossible for God. So here's what I want you to think about here. And what I want to ask you to respond to. The amazing thing about the Easter story is these three days, right? You've got, you've got Good Friday where Jesus on the cross, and he gives his life and he dies. That Holy Saturday where he's in the tomb and people have lost hope and wondering what's going to happen. And then you've got Resurrection Sunday. You know what I think happens to a lot of us? We accept Good Friday and we stop. I believe in Jesus and I believe he died. So that's good. You believe in the right things. You got the right story. He's a part of your life. That's good. 
I'm, I'm proud of you. It's a wonderful thing. You're going to heaven. You've got eternal life. That's good. But we stop thinking that there's nothing beyond that. And the hope in my life, it's just living in Holy Saturday. It's just, it's just, it's gone. There's nothing else. And we never make it all the way through to Resurrection Sunday where he makes us alive, where he takes the guilt, where he takes the shame, where he takes the sin, where he takes the stuff and he rips it out and he fills you with new life. Today, I think, as I was praying over this message, I think he's asking you, will you come? Will you come? Will you come? Will you leave Good Friday? Will you step into hope? Will you step into Resurrection Sunday? Just believe. Just go further. Just keep walking. Just look to me and let resurrection life come alive inside of you. With your eyes closed, your heads bowed, I just want to ask you the question. For some of you, maybe this is a decision that you've just never made before, to just trust Jesus with everything. Just surrender your life to him and say, oh man, this is crazy stuff, but I'm going to choose to believe it. Because Jesus paid the price for your sin on the cross and the scripture says that the wages of sin is death and Jesus paid it for you. It would be so stupid for you to pay it again. You don't have to pay it. So maybe today you just want to say, I, I think I'm going, to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust. I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe the story. I'm going to receive Jesus and ask him into my life to be the Lord. I'm going to follow him. I'm actually going to do this. For others of you, you are just stuck at Good Friday in some circumstance, some situation, some deal that's going on. And today he wants to call you out to resurrection life to believe that he can come through for you. Look, I don't mean that everything's going to be perfect. I don't. We all know that life doesn't work that way. But I know that resurrection life can fill every circumstance and give you the strength, the power, and the peace to make it through. And in a lot of cases, he just takes care of it. So with your eyes closed, if any of you are in any one of those two boats, you just want to give your life to Jesus and say yes, or maybe come back to him, or you just say, God, I've got this circumstance, and I've got to progress out of Good Friday into Resurrection Sunday, just lift your hand up right now. Just lift it up. Good. Who else? Good, 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 good. Who else? Come on. Just hold it up for a second. It's not for me. It's just for him. This is you saying, Jesus, I I give it. I need you. I surrender. I need you. God, you got to help me. Come through. Who else? Come on. Just lift your hand up. I love it. Who else? That's so good. Would you all pray this prayer with me and just pray words like this from your heart. Lord Jesus, help me. I need you. God, I, I, I confess that I've tried to take control of all this and I've tried to live this life on my own and I can't do it. Father, today I want to give my life to you. I want to believe in the story, the cross, but the death, the burial, the resurrection coming again three days later. I want to believe in that story today. So I give my life over to you. I surrender my life. I turn away from the life that I'm living. I'm living, I turn into a brand new life with you. And Father, this stuff that I've been carrying and the circumstances that I'm dealing with today, I don't want to be stuck anymore in Good Friday. I want to move forward into resurrection life. And so I choose today to trust you, to have communion with you, to allow you to change my thinking by the power of your spirit, to allow resurrection life Come alive in my circumstances. Thank you for doing this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's really good, everybody. Hey, from this vantage point right here, we're going to receive communion together. This is something that we do pretty much every Sunday that we gather. And what we're doing is we're taking these two elements that Jesus left us in this meal, the the bread, which symbolizes his body that was broken for us, for our healing the cup which symbolizes his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin and power for clean and godly living. 
We're going to take those things and we're going to remember him by participating with them, by ingesting them and allowing them to become a part of our lives. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to worship together. The team is going to come down and they're going to start distributing the elements in really nice gold communion trays. Sticky movie theater, gold communion trays. It's pretty cool. And so, so they're going to pass that stuff. Just take it out. And if you would, just hold on to it and we'll receive all together at the end, all right? They're going to start passing. Let's worship together.